gotta snag more. It's a really hairy ball sack. Yo, we could fucking make so much money just on that <laughs> clip alone. Ball sack. Just scratching my balls. <laughs> ball sack. <laughs> See, this is the Patreon content we should be putting out. Be like, just like fucking, just like. We're either going to drive people insane or give them boners. <laughs> drive them insane with, with their boners. boners. Even the women, they're going to be like, where's this boner coming from? <laughs> My God. Oh, no, I feel slightly more professional now that we have headphones. I know. Like, we should oh. be saving this for our actual talk. Are we recording? I mean, Is we're this recording. Our this could just be our intro. <laughs> ah, fuck it. It's our intro. Ball sacks are our Ball intro? Ball sacks. Yes. If this is your first time listening to Rock Candy Podcast, welcome to the podcast. Welcome we talk about ball sacks. No, I mean, we don't, but hello, welcome. <laughs> welcome to the show. We uh, normally are your podcasts bringing you weekly sweet treats of stories and tales from the world of music, but yeah. um, apparently this week. Today we've turned into ASMR people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we tease it about just about every week. I yeah. think we finally. Now that we have headphones, we're like, oh. And now everybody understands that they don't want it. Yeah. They just don't want it. They don't. They're like, oh. Because we just scratch the microphone and say, balls out. <laughs> That's it. Oh, my God. That's how I'm we sure that's ourselves. a very specific niche for that, but uh, that's a niche I don't want to be in. I think that we've both gained and lost listeners within <laughs> the past two minutes. So, Bye. there's that. <laughs> See ya. You can't handle ASMR and ball sacks. Get the fuck out of here. Get out of here. You weren't a friend anyway. <laughs> you probably weren't. Because, I mean, let's face it. Our friends are like, yeah, this is on brand. Yeah. This is on brand for them. This makes sense. Yeah. This that's, is that's a cool. typical night out with Ashley and Maggie. <laughs> and I'm Maggie. And I'm Ashley. <laughs> We're the hosts of this show. Of this, of this five-star classy show about music. Yeah. Not ball sacks. We are very nice young ladies. I mean, we can be. Yeah. Yeah. When the situation calls for it. This yeah. is not the situation. That this isn't the situation. It. But I mean, this also has nothing to do with what we're talking about tonight. Yeah, no, it doesn't. This is like <laughs> the complete other side of the spectrum as far as our usual topics. Yeah. Well, no, tonight's topic anyway. Yes, tonight we're, we're bringing it back. We're bringing it old school. We are kicking off uh, Black History Month with a yeah. real banger. Yeah. We are doing an album review, which we have not done one in a while. Yeah, it's been a really long time. To Whitney Houston's sophomore release, Whitney. Whitney. Yes. It's Whitney. a really good one. It's the one with all the jams on it. It is the one with all the jams. Most of the jams. There are a couple jams that are on other ones. Yeah. But this is pretty primary jams. I right mean, here. arguably the first jam, How Will I Know, was on her first album, which was called Whitney Houston. Well, it was just it wasn't called anything. It was called Whitney Houston. I'm sorry, it was called Whitney Houston. Yes. <laughs> no. But we're talking about the second album, which was just called Whitney. And the so. third album was called Houston, right? <laughs> it wasn't. Should have been. It wasn't. They fucked up. They did fuck up. Come on, Whitney. Come get it. Do better. Yeah. I mean Come on, Bobby. Bobby. Bobby! <laughs> No. We had to do it we at did. least once. We did have to do it at least once. And now never again. 
Oh no, we're gonna be doing that the whole fucking episode, oh, guys. I'm gonna be doing that the whole fucking episode. Bobby, Bobby. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a Bobby night. <laughs> That's we're 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 starting off strong with. Wow, we. I'm so sorry. We're we're not we're not classy ladies. We well, lied. No, we have headphones now, so we might not be classy, but we're professional. We are professional. I know that that's really sad to know that we've been doing this for two years without two headphones. Years and we finally have headphones. Like, what is actually fucking wrong like, with every us? Every time we would uh, go guest on somebody else's podcast, we'd be like, wait, we have to wear headphones? Like, we are just, we're not used to hearing our own voices, so yeah. it's really weird. It was very, very odd. And I'm very, like, self-aware. Conf- self, like, Conscious. Conscious, that's it. About all the noises we make. I know. We make a lot of noises. But you can hear everything. It's so weird. You can hear everything. Which is why we're ASMRing at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> so hope you guys liked that. You're welcome. Yeah. Speaking of being self conscious of ASMR, now I can hear myself drink our beer. <laughs> you can hear every single gulp, the lip smack. It's terrible. <laughs> I know, now I'm like really Every like, throat clear, every tiny little <laughs> Yeah, like oh I just gotta like, you know, clear my mouth out. Nope, oh god, I gotta like get three feet away from the mic now. Yep. They can hear everything. Yeah. I'm sorry. This is why it takes me so long to edit. But tonight for our classy night, we're drinking from Grimm Classic Rewind, which is a West Coast India Pale Ale. It's it's a it's an IPA. It's an IPA. It is the most IPA IPA I've ever had. It's just like yeah, yeah. It smells terrible. Tastes okay. Oh, you know what? I didn't even smell it. I mean, it smells like it a smells Christmas like an tree. IPA. Yeah, <laughs> it smells like straight hops, bro. <laughs> Stop it. You want to drink like a fucking pine tree? Cause I got one in my fucking backyard. Just put it in a blender. Will mix it blend? It, mix it with some yeast. It's great. Fucking beer. Yeah, there you go. We got it. Got that IPA for you. Straight, that is how they make IPA. Straight pine cones. Straight pine cones. But it was funny because I had no fucking idea what beer to get for this week. Yeah, she didn't make it easy at no, all. No, there's not really anything that I could find with like dance or, or emotions or, or emotions. love. Yeah. yeah. It's and maybe because it's just it's it's February. It's in winter and like they're in that weird, that weird bridge. It's that weird week right before they start putting out the spring ales. Well, I mean, nobody puts out a Valentine's Day ale. Which is weird. So I, I imagine there's not a whole lot of beer with the word love in it. So, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, I mean, but you love beer, so. But also fucking stop it. Come on, breweries, start catering to our podcast. Yeah, seriously. I really need some more Whitney Houston beers. I'm a little upset there aren't more. Yeah, it's it's a perfectly adequate beer. Yeah, I'm. That's all you yours. Yeah, I tonight. know. I'm I sorry, know. I'm not drinking beers tonight. Yeah, well, and I mean, you shouldn't. I shouldn't because it hurts my tum it, it hurts your life. It hurts my tum tum. Makes my life beers. horrible. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. But like, wait, is mead being okay to you? Yeah, mead's fine. Huh? Because it's not made out of wheat. It's made out of honey. And the one that I got, because. I work at a meadery now. She works at a meadery now. Um, the one that I got doesn't have any sugar in it. So that oh. don't hurt my tum-tum either. Oh my God. It's fantastic. You're bougie Meat's now. great, guys. You should drink it. Especially if you're in New York and you should visit Helderberg Meatworks. <laughs> you should because I fucking work there now. You can come visit me. Yeah. 
Now we're just going to shamelessly plug Hildeberg all the time. Yeah, that was the agreement. (laughs) Uh, Yes. You can work for us, but you have to constantly plug us. Yeah. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. And all of it's fucking delicious. So, yeah, yeah, I'm here for it. Seriously. I will work for Mead. And I do. You, yeah. And I do now. You do, though. It's great. Look at you. Living your best life. (laughs) This fucking girl right here. So let's talk about some Whitney. Yeah. Let's go into Whitney. Yeah. We're going to say it like that. All fucking night. All right, hold on. I'll say it once. Tonight, we're discussing the album Whitney by Whitney Houston. It was her sophomore release back in the 80s. So get excited about that. (laughs) Here you go. So I know we frequently discuss the hardship for most musicians that is normally referred to as the quote-unquote sophomore slump. Ah. Especially for new artists who hit the ground running, trying to make your next album slap harder or even just as hard as that top-selling debut, can be a bit daunting. Good luck. Good fucking luck. Many try and many fail, but sometimes someone is blessed with the talent or the luck or the team to bring it all together and amaze the pants off the world with another best-selling album on attempt number two. Tell me about it. I'm going to. Okay. (laughs) And that's where the subject of today's episode comes in. Whitney Houston may unfortunately no longer be with us, but her music is so timeless that it's sometimes hard to realize the truth of that. Ever since day one, she's been keeping us on our toes. I mean, that girl. Hits. Hits for days. Yeah, but also she has one of the most amazing voices that has ever graced our ears. Yeah, we should be lucky that we even had a Whitney Houston. Yeah. In 1985, she released her self-titled debut, and the acclaim was nonstop. It reached number one in the Billboard charts, and it spawned three number one singles, Saving All My Love For You, How Will I Know, and Greatest Love Of All. So anticipation for the follow-up was real. How Will I Know was is one of my favorite 80s songs ever. Yeah. Also one of my favorite 80s videos. It is quintessentially 80s and amazingly, I don't know, neon- yeah, I was going to say, which one was the How Will I Know video? That was the one, I believe she was like walking through this weird kind of fun house with a lot of doors and mirrors. Oh, and right, And she was right. in like a gray dress, like a real cute gray dress and had like a bow in her hair. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. Re- I remember like okay. the colors and her outfit <laughs> and a lot of male dancers wearing black and white. Yeah. yeah. It was really cute. That sounds lovely. Because sometimes I would confuse that one with So Emotional. But So Emotional, she's wearing the jacket and she's singing at a concert. Yes. So that's that's where the difference yes. comes in. Now, in the beginning, Whitney had a pretty mature sound. Very adult contemporary with this elegance and romance that seemed beyond her years. Very Con- adult contemporary. Right? And especially considering she was only 21, 22 at the time of this release. But she looks about 35 Which on the so- cover of that album. Yeah, and it's so weird, too, because that was just the, the thing in yeah. the 80s. Like, look older than you are. Think yeah. about, it, like, even Madonna. She was, like, early 20s, and she was looking closer to 30. Yeah, she was. And now it's, like, the complete opposite. Now it's, like, the more you can look like a teenager, the better. Yeah. It's so weird. For this album, it's not that she wanted to lose the maturity or the elegance, but it seemed like a smart move to go into the direction where she had a little more fun. She dabbled with this a little on her debut with the single, How Will I Know? Mm-hmm. It's really the only pop song that came on that record. Yeah. 
So she brought in co-writer slash producer of that song specifically, Narada Michael Walden. And he came in to produce seven out of the 11 tracks. Oh. And at the moment of truth, Whitney exceeded the success of her debut album. On June 27th, 1987, it debuted at number one on the U.S. Billboard chart. Damn. Making her the first female artist to do this. Damn. Mm-hmm. And it stayed at number one for 11 weeks. So when you combine that with the 14 weeks that her debut stayed at number one, she created the record for the artist with the most cumulative weeks at number one. Because that's 25 weeks and I think, for those who are counting. And I think the only... Or the next female to do that was Mariah Carey, I think. I don't think anybody's beaten her yet. No, I think they have, but I think uh-huh. it was Mariah Carey. Probably. Yeah, I tried and to... it was a long-ass time after. I honestly tried to find it, like, and all I could ever find was, like, Whitney Houston, the most number one. I'm like, all right. Yeah, I think it. I think Because it's Carey... cumulative, not... Like, career length? Um, No, um, consecutive. Oh. So I think cumulatively she does. I don't know. That's what I read. Okay. Either way, like, fucking good for you, girl. Either way, she started it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, honestly, she started it, though. Yeah. Finally, this album contained four number one hits. Add that to the three previous from her debut, and that landed her the achievement of seven consecutive number one hits, the highest held by any artist, even surpassing the Beatles. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. This album was a fucking bop. Yep. People were into it. As you can see, Whitney is an album filled with accolade after accolade. But critics didn't see it that way. What? Critics are so stupid. Oh, get ready. I don't know shit. Get ready to hear so much shade about fucking critics today, guys, because (laughs) they hated this album. Many claimed the album was, quote, too safe and repressive and that it was just following a formula. Well, fuck those opinions, because that formula went nine times platinum, so maybe they don't really know as much as they think they do. They never do. They never do. Guys, that's the secret. Critics don't know anything. It amazes me that critics even have jobs, because I mean, they, this... they are always the exact opposite of what audience and the people in general. And at this stage like... of the game, right? Like... People are just going to listen to what they want to listen to because now we have Spotify and Pandora and YouTube where people listen to their music. Most people are barely listening to the radio. Right. So really critics, I don't know how much power you think you have because now it's so easy to listen to music. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really get why music critics exist anymore because now we can completely follow just your own opinion. And also, what kind of critics do we have right now for music? Rolling Stone? Yeah. And NME? No. Mm. Pitchfork? Nah, Mm. fuck off. Nah, y'all are cute. Cute, but yeah. No, I'm I'm good not listening to you like ever. Seriously. However, you know, when Pitchfork does like an album, it's for a really good reason. It's a really fucking good album. They're like, no, granted. we really do like this. And you're like, good. As you should. It's Thank a really you. good album. But they just don't like anything else. It yeah. has to be an extremely exceptional album for Pitchfork, Pitchfork to actually like it. Pitchfork. Pitchfork. Oh, it's just a pig writing music reviews. Little farmer pig with a pitchfork. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to write you my reviews. Oink, oink. I like country. Oh, oh. he likes a little and rock and roll. Three Little Pigs by Green Jelly. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> little pig, little, little pig, pig, let me in. Not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. <laughs> he loves that song. That's his I favorite. love that song. <laughs> That's a great fucking jam, though. Let's 
Let's take a minute, but that's not what we're here to talk yeah, about. Yeah, we're not talking about green jelly no, at all. Ever, probably. Literally the exact opposite this of is, green jelly. This is probably the only time we'll talk about green jelly. No, I want to do an episode on green jelly. Well, never mind. We'll talk about them again someday. <laughs> but today we're talking about Whitney and how great this album is. It is, a, it's, 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 it's got really some solid good. jams. Yeah. Critics are dumb, but maybe it's time we just take a look at this top selling album. Let the music speak for itself. Yes. Let's hear it. So we are going to start off with the first track, which gets the shit started. Oh. Right. Gets every party started. Everything in the world gets started with this song. <laughs> I want to dance with somebody. Who loves me? Boy, did we start on a high note. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This album comes in saying, I ain't fucking around. Probably the most upbeat song to ever exist. This song is still a jam, and I dare you to listen to it and not end up dancing around just a little bit. Yeah, I'm kind of sad you stopped it because I wanted to listen to the whole thing. Oh, well, sorry. Fine. <laughs> it's fine. I guess I'll stay. It's I mean, fine. We can, we can just listen to it again later. Fine. We have things to do. <laughs> As previously mentioned, Whitney brought back Naranda Michael Walden to help with some of these tracks, and this was one of them. But Warden was not the only one brought back to make a little magic a second time. Mm -hmm. The other co-writers of How Will I Know are George Merrill and Shannon Rubicam, who you may know as the pop duo Boy Meets Girl. I don't know who that is. You know the song, Waiting for a Star to Fall. Oh, my God. In my arms, baby, yeah. Waiting for a star. I fucking love that song. Well, that's Boy Meets Girl. I forgot about that. That fucking lady from Lost Boys is in the fucking video. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that. Well, Boy Meets Girl comes back, and they were tasked to come up with another hot number one for Whitney's sm- sophomore release. She just should have covered Waiting for a Star to Fall. Funny story. I'll get to that. Oh. Initially, they presented the label Artiza... Artiza? Arista? Why can I never say it? Arista. <laughs> Arista Records. Oh, my God. Thank you. Arista Records. Artisanal? Artisanal. Artisanal Records, but it's Artisanal. <laughs> It's Arista Records. Yeah. Right. So initially they came in to Arista and they presented them with the song Waiting for a Star to Fall. Waiting for a Star to Fall. And they said, nah, we're not waiting for that. They passed on it saying it just didn't seem suitable for Whitney. So the duo put their heads together to okay. come up with the best jam for her. Okay. Wow. Two big jams. Two big jams. Two big jams. So many jams. Technically three, because also how will I know? When they came up with the concept of, I want to dance with somebody, they said they pictured the diva as someone who was single, wishing to go out and find their special someone. When they wrote Somebody Who Loves Me, they didn't mean just for one night stand. They meant for the dance of life. Well, you're not going to find that in a club. I don't know, maybe. 
weirder who things. You, who right? do you think Whitney is? I don't know. It was the 80s. Things were different. Yeah. She was young. There's probably more roofies. Oh, yeah. You're probably right. Definitely more cocaine. Way more coke. <laughs> so much more coke. You couldn't leave the bar unless you did no, a line. No. I would say there is far more irresponsible coke, which technically all coke is irresponsible, but way too much coke. Too much cocaine. Yeah. While everyone else was in love with it, Walden wasn't sold. He was afraid it sounded too much like a country ballad. He spent a lot of time trying to cultivate it to sound like a proper pop song. But he should have just had more faith in Whitney because once he brought it to her, she knocked it out of the park first time. Well, yeah. Because it's Whitney. It's Whitney. Who do you think you're working with, asshole? Right? But Walden's concerns may not have been exactly on point, but he probably felt some kind of stab when the critics came out against this hit single. Fuck the critics. We already talked about this. We're going to say that a lot tonight. Many said it was just How Will I Know Part 2. But this sounds like an unfair judgment from people who don't really have an ear for music. I wouldn't say it's How Will I Know Part 2. It's the follow-up to How Will I Know. Yeah, they're both synthy 80s pop songs, but I Want to Dance definitely improved upon its predecessor. Yes. And it made a much deeper and more complicated song. Yes. Because let me tell you, this song modulates from its drum tease in the beginning to Whitney's confidence with that energetic woo <laughs> that Ric Flair woo she really she really invoked some Ric Flair with she that woo Ric Flared real hard in and that and she kicked off the song with just that Ric Flair woo <laughs> to harmonic choruses and it ends with the erratic but polished run throughs this song did take from the previous pot pit but it improved upon it in every way you can yes so, I mean, yeah, you can make the argument. I do have to say, like, sometimes I do kind of, like, confuse. Like, if I start thinking of I want to dance with somebody, I will start thinking of um, how well I know. Yeah. But I want to dance is definitely better. I kind of feel like they are the Marvel movies of 80s pop. Oh, Like, okay. the first one was, like, really Iron good Man. and you loved it. Yeah. And then the second one is, Captain like... Captain America. Yeah. Yeah. And, like... I'm sure there's a part three in there that's like, what, I don't know, Infinity Wars? What's the better one? What's good? What's good after that? I've never seen any of them. I'm just, really I'm pulling like, this analogy oh out of my butthole it right now. It is so funny to watch you pull this analogy out of your butthole right now. People like the Marvel movies, right? People do like the Marvel movies. I'm just trying to relate to the people. You're doing a really good job. Cool. I'm really, I'm cool. just proud of you. You're Thanks. doing so good right now. But come on, the public has clearly spoken. This song is still solid gold. It is still being played on dance floors and jukeboxes today. Oh, this is a staple in our jukebox playlist. Oh, this is a staple in every playlist ever. Should be. Don't fuck it up. It's not. You're doing it wrong. But yeah. So, I mean, in this fucking song always puts me in a good mood. Mm -hmm. No matter what. I'm like, oh, God. Yeah, I do just want to dance. (laughs) She's right, though. I don't care if they love me, though. I just want to dance. I just want to dance. So now we will move on to the second track called Just the Lonely Talking Again. Oh, The voices in your head just look really lonely. This is a commentary on mental illness? I don't know. Yeah, this time will be different. And you and I can share this dream that I visualize. Tell me, 
down real good we're slowing it down you 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 started fast and furious <laughs> get ready to slow it and down. then they pump those brakes oh my god they pump like they pump the brakes in a way that you have to like grab your passenger and be like <laughs> oh i'm so sorry you have to get that oh shit handle like yeah. your grandmother's putting your her arm in front of you yep like you're gonna fly through the windshield yeah even though you have a seatbelt on yeah and like a airbag <laughs> my grandmother did that a lot oh <laughs> Well, there's not too much going on here. It's just a smooth, slow jam. Questioning her man. Is he really ready to love her? Or is he just feeling the sting of a cold, lonely night? It's like now that they've met on the dance floor, like not just for a night, but for yeah. like a long time. They've had, she... they've had like a couple months of dates. Yeah. And they've... he's been a little, little wishy-washy about it. A little wobbly, a little wishy-washy. They haven't made anything official yet, so he's kind of like... Getting a little distant. She's like, yo, but what's up, boy? But then he comes in. He's like, yeah, let's have a good night together. And it's like, are you ready for love? Or do you just want to fuck me? <laughs> this is a story. This is, there is, guys, there is a story this is, to this you song. You don't know, but this is a concept album. Oh my God. Did we just turn this into a concept album? <laughs> I think we did. All right. I guess we can, we can try we to roll make this with happen. It. We're rolling with it. Let's see right. how far we can take this. All right. This song was written by Sam Dees. And it was actually originally recorded in 1983 by the R&B group, The Manhattans. Sam D's. <laughs> Sam D's nuts. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. I don't know why that about to as soon as you said Well, hey. Thanks for listening, everybody. It was we, nice We made a D's you. nuts joke, and that means we have to end the show. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know the unofficial rule of rock candy. If once a D's nuts joke gets made, that's it. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Over. Oh my God. It's been a nice two years. <laughs> but we're done. We made a Deez Nuts joke finally. Yes, it was originally recorded by a group called the Manhattans. It kind of sounds pretty much the same. Oh, it's a cover. It is a cover. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, you know, the one thing I will throw out there about this song, besides the concept album and Deez Nuts, <laughs> is that it actually has a pretty solid sexy sax solo in it. Ooh. So you know me, I'm I'm a sucker for them solid sexy oh, sax yeah. solos. Solid sexy sax. I mean, solo. the alliteration alone, I'm here for it. It's a lot. Yeah, it is. It is a lot. But you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a nice, I don't know, it, I feel like it's that like quintessential 80s smooth jam. This is what you put on when you invite somebody over for dinner mm. and you're like pouring the wine and mm. mood lighting and, you know, all the things that I would never do because I'm not that classy. Right? Yeah. Oh, I should try to have a date like that someday. So awkward. Right? Like, I'm playing Whitney <laughs> Just Houston. this song on repeat. Oh my God, yes. Pouring wine out of a Boda box. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. I want to do this now. Yep. Valentine's Day, get ready. And uh, it's not steak. It's steakums. Oh steakums and pizza rolls. No, it's steak-filled Hot Pockets. Yes. Oh, my God. Quote, unquote, steak-filled yeah. Hot Pockets. Yeah, steak. Let's, let's be honest. And then you can say something real sexy like, now I fed you Hot Pockets. Do you want to feed on my Hot Pocket? Oh, my God. Be real gross about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. 
I hope you guys. I hope this gives you guys really good ideas for Valentine's Day next week. Ball sacks, ball sacks, and, and hot, hot pockets. pockets. I'm so sorry, Whitney Houston. <laughs> we are really not doing this out many favors. Let's move on to the next track. Okay. Called Love Will Save the Day. Indeed it will. I hope. <laughs> not this podcast, though. <laughs> Okay, so I have to say that we just noticed that like every song on this album is like four, four to six minutes. Four to six minutes long. Whitney Houston is like prog pop. Oh my god! Yeah, that's prog pop. Like, she's just prog all, rock all over this fucking. Four, bitch. Even four and a half minutes for a pop song. That's a long is time. really long for a pop song. Yes, there's you're not really bringing much new. It's a pop song. She did it though. She did do it. She did, however, do it. And I mean, like, honestly, I'm happy to come- welcome back the Groove and Pop Jam here. Yeah. It's, it's a smooth, cool, fun jam. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yep. Yep. It is, though. Uh, and I really appreciate, I feel like it has some real Michael Jackson vibes to it. It does. Yes. Like, kind of some of the 80s. But, Ooh. like, that makes sense because- Jermaine Jackson worked on her previous album. Yes, he worked with her on her debut. And I don't know how true it is, but I heard they might have had a little love affair mm. that Michael was none too oh, pleased with. Oh, love will save the day. Oh, love saved. I don't know if it saved shit, actually. Might love actually, didn't do anything today. It might have just made things worse, actually. Love fucked everything up today. <laughs> that actually sounds a lot more accurate. Yeah. Hmm. This song was the fifth and final single to be released off the album. It was written by Tony C, who I can't really find anything on. He's a mystery. She's a mystery person. I just they she seems to have worked with on a lot of dance compilations. Okay. So that's cool. I mean it checks. And it was produced by John Jellybean Benitez. Oh, I know who he is. Because he worked extensively with Madonna, Madonna in the 80s. He, like, remixed all of her first hits and actually made them hits. Yeah, and wrote Holiday, I believe. Yes. Yeah. So he's, you know what, honestly, nice pedigree he, on this. He basically was very integral in, in launching Madonna's career. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. I mean, she probably never acknowledged it after she yeah. got big. I mean, I yeah. don't think I, I, like, really drove that home when we covered Madonna, but, like, yeah. Yeah. He was instrumental in a lot of her first hits. Right. And I, I don't know. I'm kind of like, Whitney, you should have worked with him more because this is solid jam. Yeah. The song has some pretty obvious Latin flavor to it, but it isn't just some hollow dance song. It addresses the problem of a divided world. So as the title says, we can only look to love to fix these issues. And she can only look to love to fix her man issues that she's still having. Oh, yes. Because this is a concept album. This is a concept album, yes. So now she's like 
really confused because this guy, she's not sure if he's into her or if he's just like boning her because he's cold and lonely. Right. But she's like, but if he loves me, love's going to save the day. It's going to save our relationship. It'll save and the everything. Day. So, yep. Storyline still, still works. Storyline still works. While this song did reach a spot in the top 10 charts, it never managed to sneak itself to number one, which is why Whitney didn't have eight consecutive number ones. Okay. But it's still impressive, and it charted high as it did, considering she never made a music video to even accompany it. Really? Yeah, so, I mean... And this is, like, music video fucking heyday. Right? And, like, this is this would be a great video for music. Yeah. Video. Great song for <laughs> great a music video. Great video for music. <laughs> great music for a video. <sighs> and I'm going to throw it out there. That this song has a pretty solid xylophone solo in it. Ooh. Yeah. You don't hear that a whole lot. You really don't. Especially nowadays. Somebody needs to bring back the xylophone. Guys, bring back the xylophone. Hashtag. Bring back the xylophone. Xylophone nation. <laughs> Let's all just carry them around. <laughs> and be like like a real awesome version of Blue Man Group, but just xylophones. Just xylophones. Oh my God, it'd be better. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. We should be master xylophone players yeah we can look that up while we listen to the next song the next big song that y'all probably remember Mm -hmm. didn't we almost have it all didn't we i thought we did maybe not we go back to the smoother jam but this makes sense because like the man made his decision yeah and his decision was not good and you know what didn't we almost have it didn't they almost have it all they almost had it all they were that close to having it all they were he fucked up oh he done fucked up he done fucked up (laughs) this is the second single off the album and it received a grammy nomination for song of the year and is co-written by michael masser who co-wrote The Greatest Love of All on Whitney's previous album. Isn't that funny? Because they sound extremely similar. Yeah, they kind of do. Yeah. But also co-written by Will Jennings, who had many successful ballads like Tears in Heaven and most notably, My Heart Will Go On. No shit. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Wait, Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton? Oh, yeah. Wait, Eric Clapton didn't write the song that was about his kid dying? He helped produce it. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Will Jennings yeah, we... produced it, like, probably helped with some of, like, the music arrangement. Yeah. But, yeah. No, I mean, like, Eric Clapton did write a like, song about us. Wait a dying. second. No, he did. But, okay. yeah, he helped with the arrangement. He had some help. Yeah, a little hand. I mean, tough song to write, man. I'll it give it really to him. is. It's not easy. Didn't We Almost Have It All is another big production ballad for Whitney to show off her powerful vocals. A nostalgic tune recalling the good times she had with a former lover, like the guy who just broke up with her. Like the guy that she met at the dance club that really couldn't commit. Yeah. And she was just wishing it had worked out and wondering if somehow maybe it still could. Oh. Mm. Oh. Mm. Le twist. What a twist. (laughs) 
The song itself took Master and Jennings about two years to complete as they would both... Really? Because you just wrote it last (laughs) album. (laughs) (laughs) Look, it took up some time. They would start to work on it, and then one would go off to work on a project, then they'd come back to work on it, and somebody else would go off to work on another project. It was a lot of back and forth. So it just took them a while to just get it done. Sure. Even though, yeah, they kind of already wrote it. At the end, they were just like, fuck it, let's just recycle the one we just fucking wrote. Honestly. And yet again, critics were pretty mixed on this tune. Some found it to be a highlight of the album, while many others said it was schmaltzy and overblown. Some criticized and even bashed Whitney's singing, saying that she lost all subtlety and her wall-to-wall belting was over the top. Fuck you. Yeah, I mean, just fuck you. If she can wall-to-wall belt, then wall-to-wall belt anytime you fucking can. Here for it. Didn't stop it from becoming yet another one sing- another number one single for her. Mm-hmm. But most notably, I'd like to let you know that the music video for this song is just live footage of her performing the song in Saratoga Springs, New York. What? Really? Yeah. Where? Like, live where? I don't know the name of the place, but I looked up the video and it just says Saratoga Springs, New York. Huh. I thought that the video was uh, just her like singing in black and white. Yeah, but it's live footage. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Maybe I'm thinking of a different video. There were a couple ballads off this, and there's another very famous one we'll get to, and that is all in black and white. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. And I think that might be the one you're thinking of. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yep. It's all part of the journey. Saratoga. Saratoga. Yeah. It's It's a New York thing, guys. It's post time and party time. (laughs) Speaking of party time. Let's uh, take a hot commercial break. Ooh. Get some beers. Mm-hmm. Get some mead. Yep. Cool off a little bit from the dancing. And we'll be right back. Cool. And we're back. Hi. <laughs> Hi. I hope you guys enjoyed your break. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where to go with that. I, I just... Sometimes taking a break makes me so emotional, <laughs> baby. Ain't it shocking what love can do? <laughs> I don't know why I like it, but I it do. do. <laughs> Sometimes it do. Sometimes it do. It's true. Sometimes it do. But also, I think this is like the best jam on this album. Oh, I don't think it's better than I Want to Dance with Somebody. No. I like, I always like the number two jams the best on every album. <laughs> you do. You know what I mean? Oh, I know what you mean. <laughs> Your Bob Spiels. <laughs> I I flush my bond spiels, okay? <laughs> I know you do. Um, no, I always like the singles that were like the second or the third that weren't as popular. Right. But like, like for instance, I like Lithium and In Bloom better than Come As You Are and Smells Like Teen Spirit. That's like fair. Those are my favorite ones. 
Because they're just like the under the radar hits. Yeah. And you don't hear them as much. Yeah. Maybe that's why, because I don't hear them as much, so I don't get sick of them so easily. Oh, that's true. I mean, look, so emotional. Solid fucking jam here. Oh, yeah. Here for it. We have the third single off the album, So Emotional, making it the sixth consecutive number one for Whitney. It's written by Billy Steinberg and Tom Kelly, who are a well-known partnership, writing many number one hit singles that the 80s are well known for. Mm. Songs like Hearts Alone, Cyndi Lauper's True Colors, and Madonna's Like a Virgin. Oh. Mm-hmm. They know their pop hits, and So Emotional is no exception. Steinberg and Kelly had once said that they don't try to write songs for specific artists, as they find that to be a bit restricting. So Emotional came about as they were having discussions with Whitney's record exec, Clive Davis, who told them he wanted something upbeat for her, and they just kind of went from there. Apparently, they are huge Prince fans, and when they presented Walden with a production demo, it actually sounded very akin to a Prince song. Huh. However, after all the changes and mixes, it kind of lost any of that presence. Yeah, I was going to say, like, Final Cut, not very Prince-like. No, not at all. Walden really jammed it up with, like, all the synths. Yeah. Another track about Whitney's love life, so I'm sensing a theme here, so I guess it is, indeed, a concept album. It is, because I guess this one would be about how, like... Oh, no, no, see, unlike the others that seem to be about unrequited love, or the search for love... This time it sounds like she got herself somebody and the feelings of love overwhelm her. Oh no, I see it as she gets so emotional when she thinks about the guy who is just like, nah, I'm good. This was just, you know, sex and whatever. No, this is totally requited love. Is it? It is. So did he change his mind? No, see, I think she found somebody else. Ooh. Mm. I think she went back to the dance floor, found a new man. Oh, so she started the album over. Yeah. And we're starting from well, the no, beginning. Well, no, this is the journey. This is the, You know what? She didn't even go back to the dance floor. She was doing her laundry and met someone new. Okay. Came out of nowhere. <laughs> doing her laundry. Yeah, I don't know. She's maybe not it was that like big some yet. other guy that like she met at the bar. And or she like... met him at a cafe. Or, I don't know. Yeah. A library. She found a new man. And she's so emotional because he is ready to commit. Oh. Concept album's still working, guys. So I keep talking about these negative reviews, though, and most of them are coming from the St. Petersburg Times, which is now what? known as the Tampa Bay Times. Fuck the Tampa Bay. No, no. Wikipedia it's... kept referencing this one publication for pretty much every song, and I just couldn't get over, like, how fucking just shitty and douchey sorry, these were. sorry. This is Florida. It's, Florida. It's Florida. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Well, the music critics that were working for them at the time, it's uh, Eric Snyder and Annalise Wamsley. Wamsley. Yeah, and they call this... call her the Wambulance because she hates Whitney (laughs) Houston so much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, guess what? They don't like this song either, and they think it's hollow and also dismiss it. Well, I dismiss them. Yeah, because honestly... Apparently, though, like, Eric Snyder has a somewhat... I, I actually looked them up because at this point, like, in the, like, my research, I was like, I need to look up who these fuckers yeah, like, are. Yeah, like, I want to know what they did like. I think Eric Snyder may have worked for Rolling Stone for a minute. Oh, well, this explains everything. Doesn't it, though? Well, I still don't care what they think because it has a sweet guitar solo and the person who does the drum sampling for the track, is named Robert Bongo Bob Smith. So, like... Any guy nicknamed Bongo, like, Bongo he's Bob. gonna make 
Bongo Bob, Bob makes fucking bongo hits, okay? He does, so I am here for it on name alone. I was like, oh, Bongo Bob worked on this track? Fuck, I'm oh, here for it. Bongo Bob. All like, right, let's do on. it. Bongo Bob, how dare you dismiss him? Eric and Annalise. Wambulance. I don't see you banging on no bongos and having a number one hit. Yep. So Suck don't see it. it. Suck it. Suck it. Mm. They say those who can't do bitch about other people who do it good. Yeah. I think that's how the saying goes. So wang your way all the way to the hospital, bitch. Oh, shit. Now we hit that point in the album where it hits a bit of a lull. Yeah. There isn't a ton about these next few tracks, so I'm just going to do my best to present them with insight and enthusiasm and humor. And more of a fake concept story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, but also, we're well, making that means, cons- that means we can make up anything we want. Kind of. Oh, we're gonna. Oh, this works. Our next track is called Where You Are. Yo, did someone call for a song to accompany a Don Bluth film? <laughs> it just has like that whimsical 80s kid movie feel, doesn't it? Yeah. Like yeah, at first does. when it opens up, I'm like, is this somewhere out there? Where's Peebo Bryson? <laughs> Bison? Huh. Bryson. I don't remember his name. Peebo Bryce? I don't know who that is. He sang somewhere out there with Linda Ronstadt. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I it only... just it so reminds me of like a Fightful movie. Oh, yeah, it does. Very much. Don Bluth, Lame Before Time. I believe it's pronounced Feifel. I did say Feifel. (laughs) I I still can't say it wrong enough, apparently. Wait, I thought it was Feifel. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, this song was produced by Kashif, who's actually contributed a lot in the realm of R&B, working with the likes of Stevie Wonder, Dionne Warwick, and Kenny G. Oh, well, Dionne Warwick is Winnie Houston's aunt, right? And her cousin. Cousin, because I believe she is the niece of Sissy Houston. He has a decent amount of Grammy nominations under his belt, too. No wins, but hey, try and counts. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. All right. And it's it's a lonely Whitney song. Unrequited love. Regretting the decision of breaking up. So I Wait, did she break up with her guy? I think she just... But he was the right one. He was the right one. And that's the problem. Is that he was the right one. We're turning this into a rom-com. Whitney, what are you doing? So now she broke up with the right guy because she's still just in love with the other guy. And she saw him with a new girl and she's like, I just And she knows he's bad for her, but also he's bad. So like, sexy. (laughs) He's sexier because he's bad. you know you're not supposed to be with him. I know. And you're just, this is the part of the movie where you're like, Whitney, what are you doing? But also, who should I be rooting for? I don't know. I like I know they're both. They both have their strong points, don't they? God damn and One it. just wants to love Whitney and take care of her, but the other one, God damn, have you seen him without a shirt on? Mm-hmm. That dad bod. Yeah, yeah. I'm turning this into a movie. <laughs> dad for me. bod. I love that it's a dad bod. <laughs> I don't like a man that with too many muscles. <laughs> I like a man with a dad bod. You know this. 
I want him to have like a nice kempt beard and a dad bod. Really muscly arms and a little tummy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, tell me that's not turning you on right now, though. God damn it. Yeah, that's right. Well, don't fear. Because you know what? In the next track, we're going to learn about the contact sport that is love. (laughs) In the track. I love the name of this song. Love is a contact sport. This is the point in our story yeah. where we have a montage scene. Oh, yeah. Because now she's going after the old guy. Oh, yeah. So she got to look good. She's getting mm-hmm. her hair did. She's oh. getting her nails did. She's getting a pedicure. She's getting a new outfit. This is a very pretty woman. Oh, this is. This is the montage scene. Yeah. Ooh. And she's like, because what the read I kind of got from the song is I can't tell if this guy is either really bad at reading how much Whitney wants him or is totally disinterested in what she's offering. So this is perfect because now yeah. she's trying to be like she's trying real hard to like get him. Like notice me, senpai. I mean, she does kind of mention stalking him. So I feel like <laughs> this casually mentioned stalking just him. Just casually. There's like a little fine. mention about stalking. It's fine. Bit. Stalking her prey. It's fine. And I mean, come on, love is a contact sport. I suppose. So at this point she's like, let me get myself back into his life. She brings up the other guy and she's trying to get noticed by this dude again. Yeah. Real hard. Because she knows she fucked up with the other guy, so. Why well, don't I think she cares about the other guy yeah, at this just, point? Like, go for it with just, this dude. Yeah, all right. Make it happen. Literally bump right into him. Yeah, because it's a contact sport. Indeed. Love is a contact sport. It's dangerous. Football get... analogies. Yeah. <laughs> She's the quarterback. John Madden. I don't know. She's the one that's behind the other guy, like, with her hands between his legs. Isn't that the quarterback? I don't know. (laughs) Super Bowl. (laughs) Pigskin. (laughs) Fredward currency. Oh, I miss Fredward. I do, too. Come back, Fred. We're sorry. Wait, what did we do wrong? We didn't do anything wrong. Also, I have questions about what she's insinuating here. Yeah. What is she insinuating? Because, like... Lyrics are like, if you want to play the game, so grab my hand. Slam. Slam. Like, where are we going with this? Do you know how sex works? <laughs> you just slam into each other a bunch, right? <laughs> just slam your hand to his dick. That's sex. <laughs> That's how sex works. I'm just picturing her just slamming some guy's dick just over and over again going, slam! Every man man listening right now is just like, no. No, that's that's not not a hand job. That is not a hand job. Is that not a hand job? Huh. Weird. Didn't know that. Oh, God. You know, I will say this. The horn section, pretty banging. The horn section does slap. You never said porn section. You never said porn section. Wait. We're gonna... The horn section does slap. It does. It does. It does. It slaps so hard, we're gonna just go to the next song. Okay. 
Because I don't know, I don't know what we're doing right now, except for making up a concept <laughs> album that doesn't exist. It's great, I love it. But it's fine. We're flowing into the next it track works. of "You're Still My Man." Oh, okay. You know what I don't miss about 80s music? What? It's just like how often it's like this song about pining over people that aren't into you, but it's not. And it's, it's just pathetic. It's super adult contemporary and kind of boring. Yeah. I mean, of course we still have pining over you songs today, yeah. right? But there's like this level of confidence or cynicism in that song. We're all just jaded pieces We're of shit. We're very jaded pieces of shit. Yeah. Like, where it's like, oh, but I still miss you. You're still my man. Way I miss you. But now it's like, I think she's I thinking fucking about, hate myself because I miss you. Yeah, like, why the fuck do I even miss you? If you're not going to hang out with me, this is garbage. <laughs> yeah, basically. This is dumb. If you don't see how fucking awesome this is, and by you're the, the asshole. And by the end of the song, it's just like, fuck you, I'm done with you. Basically, it's any Robin song yeah. that ever has existed. Yeah, Robin took the uh, sad breakup song concept and fucking made it wonderful. Yep. Yeah. And I, do, I think this does work in our concept album, because okay. now I think she's thinking about the other guy now she's now so the guy she was trying to impress with the montage is like not impressed and Mm -hmm. she's finally realizing it so now she's like well maybe the other guy was the better one right so now she's like maybe he's still my man oh Mm. this is working i know this totally works this song was written for whitney to sing on her debut album but clive davis felt it was too pop and didn't have a place there wait what this song was too pop yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, all right. Well, they shelved it and decided to use it for this one. Okay, fine. It works. And Michael Masser came back to co-write for this track, except this time he didn't work with his pal Will. Instead, he collaborated with Jerry Goffin. And he's married, well, he was married to Carol King for a little bit. Oh. And he also wrote The Locomotion. I mean, that's not something to brag about. So good for you, Jerry Goffin. Thanks for that. Thanks for Locomotion and this song. I mean, Debbie Gibson did a pretty good job. She did. She got smacked it. <laughs> she really got smacked. She's the best the she locomotion. ever did. She really did. But you know what? Godsmack should do the Locomotion. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Godsmack, we're calling you out. Yeah, best we need color the locomotion. ever. Well, now we're just going to go into the next track. We're just going to speed demon it yep uh and we're gonna go to the track called for the love of you Welcome back, Sexy Sax. Sexy Sax. Sexy Sax came back. So this is actually another cover song 
by the Isley Brothers. Oh. It was a single off their 1975 album, The Heat Is On, which showed the brothers' versatility, having a smooth ballad such as this against a high-energy song like Fight the Power. Oh. Did yeah. they do, like, the Heat Is On song? No. Oh. <laughs> it was like some white boys. It was. It very much was. That's, that's definitely. No, that was like Michael McDonald or some shit. I think it was Michael <laughs> McDonald. <laughs> or, like... His brother, Franklin McDonald. <laughs> Franklin McDonald. <laughs> yeah, that's why he never got as big. <laughs> so the song was written by Ernie Isley and Chris Jasper after being inspired by a poem written for Jasper's sister Elaine by her husband. Oh. It's a sweet little love tune. That's nice. As far as Whitney's version goes, the song was the B-side to So Emotional and landed her a nomination at the 1988 Grammys for Best Female R&B Performance. Interesting pick, but right? okay. I mean, you know, it's pretty smooth jazzy R and B pick. Sure. And this is this is the song where she's like, I'm back. I'm back, baby. I'm trying to seduce you. She's back for this she, guy. I'm gonna realized, show you how much I love you. She realized guy B is the guy for her and it's like, This is it. This is what we're doing. Yeah. And like This is this is the climax. Is he gonna say yes or is he gonna yeah, say no? This is for his love. Yeah. It is. Well it really is. I don't know how well it's going to go, because the next track is Where Do Broken Hearts Go? Oh, no! No, this totally works. We have a happy ending here. Oh? Because she's saying, where do broken hearts go? They go into the open arms of the people that love them. Oh. Which is Guy B. Guy B. Guy B. You know what? Guy B, here's what happened. So then in the movie, Uh she tries to go back and he's like, I don't know. You burned me once, right? Yeah. And he's like, I just don't know. And then she's like, oh, God. I'm like, real great white about this. Once bitten, twice shy, babe. (laughs) Yes. Yup, just like that. 80s reference. And then and then Guy A tries to like woo woo Whitney woo. back. And she <laughs> tries, tries to, to Ric Flair, Flair Whitney. <laughs> and she's like, no, if I can't have Guy B, then I don't want anyone. And then at the very end, she's just sad and alone. And then Guy B shows up and this song plays. She's like, but where do broken hearts go? And they go into the arms and of the people like, who love you. And he's like, into I love you. open arms. Oh my I love God. you, Whitney. We did it. We did it. We did it, guys. This is perfect. Oh, my God. This is a great rom-com. We just wrote a rom-com. Honestly, we did, though. It's a real good rom-com, though. It's a real basic by-the-book formula IPA rom-com. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, like, a little twist at the end because you thought that, like, she was just going to sit in a corner and cry and not have anybody but... Then, you know, her broken heart got swept up by his See, because now arms. the twist is always like, I don't need any man. So now we need to retwist it back into like, but she's going to end up with <laughs> a man. Retwist it to, no, I'm totally codependent and I need somebody to feel validated about Look, my life. This is an 80s movie. This is an 80s, movie. Is an 80s movie. This is not a modern this is movie not at a all. Movie. No, no, no. Well, here we have the seventh consecutive number one from Whitney Houston. 
Record exec Clive Davis approached longtime friend Frank Wildhorn, known for writing the hit musical Jekyll and Hyde. Oh, whoa. I know you don't care, but it's it's a really good musical. Um, And he had him write something for this diva. Okay. So Frank contacted musician Chuck Jackson, a moderately successful R&B artist... (laughs) Moderately successful. Moderately successful. <laughs> I mean, he seemed moderately to Okay, me. Whitney, we're going to get the best moderately <laughs> successful, successful R&B artist who had to start in the 60s. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, continue. Right, thank you. Chuck came up with the name Where Do Lonely Hearts Go? And Frank came up with the music and lyrics in about 40 minutes. Once, shows it. Once he had a majority of it complete... He and Chuck got together, and they flushed out the rest. Years down the road, Whitney would admit to hating the song and not wanting to do it. I don't blame her. I do- this is not my favorite. No. No, it's not. But it's one you all know. And it's she- integral to our concept story. It is really story. integral to our concept story here. She didn't feel any connection and didn't really think it had anything to say. But Clive told her it was sure to be a hit, so she recorded it anyway. And here we have Clive being right. This is a Whitney classic. Yeah. Everybody knows it. Clive Davis is really good at pressuring people into recording music that they don't want to record. Apparently. The music video sparked some controversy as it surrounded Whitney getting flowers and a goodbye letter from her boyfriend. Now, the race of this gentleman is in question. It wasn't really apparent. So it had black audiences accusing her of straying more from her roots and trying to please white audiences. Now, something I haven't really gone into with this album is she got a lot of lashback, especially in the 80s around this album. And I think even its predecessor. For being too white? For trying too hard to please that white adult contemporary audience. And like she wasn't. And I can kind of see the complaint on that of like, you know, she. It's it's not a straight R&B album really isn't and i think people just kind of looked at her and thought she might have been trying too hard to please white audiences instead of just being true to herself yeah i get that yeah but at the same time she was a single female artist in the 80s that was surrounded by men who were putting all this pressure on her yeah like to white do dudes. what they wanted yeah her to do she didn't have much of a choice right in any of this yeah i mean she was willing to do and she was young and i think when you're at that when you're at that age like you're your early 20s you're gonna do what people say do this because this is what's gonna make you successful yeah. and clive davis was a hit maker for how long at that point exactly. so you're kind of gonna do what clive davis says yeah especially he was the head of arista records wasn't he mm-hmm. so yeah you're gonna do what the head of your record company is telling you to honestly, do honestly you're gonna do it and i think the whole thing about her getting all this criticism throughout the 80s about her kind of catering to white audiences more is kind of why you do notice a sharp turn more into R&B in the 90s and 2000s. Yeah, you do. I definitely think this played a huge role in how her music followed after the late 80s. Especially because 90s were, you know, a real huge time for R&B. Oh, yeah. So... And it was fucking solid, so I'm not complaining. Right. And she had real solid, like, straight-up R&B hits in the 90s, so... Dude. I'm not complaining about that, but I... I understand where audiences had complaints about her sound. Yeah. At, but I mean, I think it helped point. her mature. Yeah. I think she found the middle ground in the best of both worlds. And once she became, you know, 
literally the best-selling female artist of all time, yeah. she could say whatever the fuck she wanted and do whatever the fuck she wanted and have the final say in all of her musical decisions. Yeah, her talent speaks for itself. Yeah. So here we come to the end of the album, the last track. Oh. I'm going to say that this doesn't really play a part. This is just the credits. This is the credits. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily play a real part in the concept album. <laughs> this is more like... Yeah, here you go. End credits. Here's, it's here's a, a sick tune to walk out of the movie theater to. Yeah. 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 It's called I Know Him So Well. I know, I know him well. Wasn't it good? Wasn't it good? Wasn't it fine? Wasn't it fine? Wasn't it madness? He can be See where Whitney gets her chops from. Seriously. Right? Her, her, so her mom is on this track. Her mom is Sissy on this Houston. track. Sissy Houston. Sissy is like Whitney plus Nina Simone put together. Mm. She got she got the pipes of Whitney, but she got that like soul and depth. Soulful, like deeper voice mm-hmm. that has a little more emotion just yeah. inherently in it. Here for it. It's good. 100%. Well, like you heard. Whitney's mother, Sissy, guests on this track. That's like sucking up all of the talent from everybody else. That's not fair that the two of you are in the same family and you got all that talent. Yeah. You, you're not leaving it for the rest of us here, especially me, like people that need it. Yeah, right? What are we doing? <laughs> what are we supposed to do now? Well, Sissy has her own accolades as a gospel singer. She clearly has a strong influence on her daughter's career and both having these strong, soulful voices mm-hmm. that sound flawless anyway but you put them together and mm, butter so you can do things like bobby bobby we haven't done that like the whole episode yeah, we said we we're gonna do it and we <laughs> haven't done it once i think we got really caught up on, lo- on the concept <laughs> album sissy not only had a successful career in gospel but was also a backup singer for the likes of dion warwick her niece mm-hmm. elvis presley and aretha franklin wow who you uh-huh. may or may not know whitney's godmother Yes, that is right. Yeah. So, yeah, having her on this track is a smart move for Whitney. Yeah, might be. But this is a cover song, actually. Oh. Another one. This all makes good sense for a credit song because it's a cover and it's a duet. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it came out in 1984 from a concept album. (laughs) Of course it was. Of course it was. Yeah. I mean, concept album, recognize concept (laughs) album. Conception. Um, Conception. Conception? Yes. Okay. Um, But it was a concept album turned musical called Chess. And it was written by Tim Rice and two members of the group ABBA. What? Benny Anderson and Bjorn Yulvaris. Okay. The two two guys from ABBA. The two guys. The story takes place in the Cold War era and follows two chess grandmasters, one American and one from the Soviet Union. Yeah, this totally makes sense for something that's written by two members of ABBA. In Soviet Russia, (laughs) chess plays you. you. (laughs) Because we had to do that. There you go. ABBA was Swedish. (laughs) I know. None of this makes sense. None of this makes sense. None of this makes sense. The original song is sung by Elaine Page and Barbara Dixon. 
And it's about the Russian player's estranged wife and his mistress singing about their failed relationships with him. This sounds scintillating. Mm. Titillating. <laughs> Titillating. I chess. love me a Russian musical about chess. <laughs> no, this grandmaster of chess has a wife and a mistress. Ooh. Mm. Playboy. Oh my god. He this... really knows how to move them pawns, doesn't he? Mm. I don't know. How to no, play actually chess. that's that that kind of works. Cool. I did a works. chess joke. You did do a chess joke. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> But what's funny is this song is actually very popular in the UK, and it still holds the record for the biggest UK, biggest selling UK chart single by a female duo. Oh. Yeah. And there's been a ton of covers of it in the UK. It's a big deal over there, I guess. I've never heard I it mean, before. That makes me question a lot of things, but okay. Yeah, that's fine. This is fine. As far as Whitney and Sissy's cover, it was released as a single in Australia, Germany, Netherlands, and Spain, but not in the U.S. Yeah. It did pretty well overseas. It charted in two of those countries. So, like, good for them. Cool. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's a great... It's... it's. Look, Sissy and Whitney sound lovely together. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much all that matters. And here we are. And it's a really good end credit scene. It's a great end credit scene from a concept album. Yeah. For a concept album. Agreed. <laughs> conception yeah so here we have it the whole shebang the whole spiel we've heard through it got to listen and after giving this album a few listen throughs myself looking to how it was made and the choices put into it i can kind of get why there's mixed reviews yeah you know it's not what i would call a perfect album it definitely has skippable tracks namely that chunk in the middle yeah the slower songs i'm like okay these didn't need to be five minutes long. No, they did not. If these were three minutes long, I'd probably be more inclined to listen to them, but mm-hmm. they kind of drag. They do. However, the jam's fucking jam. Exactly. And, you know, it helped to keep Whitney on the track to becoming the household name she was. When I look through all the critical reviews, there seems to be a lot of skepticism here. Yeah. Right? Many seem to think she didn't have the substance to stay relevant. Like, when you read the reviews, everybody's kind of like, oh, she doesn't, like, have any depth, and she just, her yeah, voice is hollow, and it's like... No, it's not, first of all. First of all, no, it's not. <laughs> um, Second of all, all of that gets canceled out by all of the number one hits that are on this album. And, and I mean, like, I just half wonder now if these critics go back and they're like, oh, I'm, I'm an asshole. Yeah, I hope they do about a lot of fucking things. <laughs> right? Least of all this album. But yeah. Seriously, like how stupid do you have to feel when this shit is like number one for the longest time and makes Whitney the household name she is? But I feel like most critics are so stuck up that they will not admit that they oh, were the wrong. Masses are just stupid. I oh. have a differing opinion and mine is better. It's no, not. it's not. It's not. You're an idiot. Go fuck yourself. In the end, the commercial success garnered by Whitney speaks for itself. And while I think there are some duds on this record, those hits, like you said, make up for it in fucking spades. Yeah. Honestly, just I Want to Dance with Somebody Alone makes this album a timeless classic. Yeah. I mean, yeah, even even like uh, Where Do Broken Hearts Go and Didn't We Almost Have It All. Yeah, they kind of drag, but they, they've got... Maybe it's because they've got their place in pop culture, so you know it and you remember they it. They have a good enough hook that it gets stuck in your head. Yeah. Even the slow stuff. It still hits. Yeah, it still has its place. Yeah, I mean, still has its place. 
And again, it had like four number ones. And then the fifth one may not have hit number one, but it was in the top ten. But it had like six or seven singles altogether. And that is near impossible yeah. for any album. Yeah, nowadays so. you don't see that. So, yeah. This album makes up for any of the duds. Yeah, so um, critics can uh, suck my butt. Yeah. And I'll give them a spoon so they can eat it. Wow. That's... Because <laughs> I like this album and they can fuck off. All right. And now that it's a concept album, I like it even more. <laughs> Seriously, though. Now I want to re- re-listen through this with the concept that yeah. we have created here. And you I wish... You write a screenplay, Maggie. We could. Anyone can write a rom-com screenplay. Yeah, anybody. Literally anybody. Literally anyone. But if listeners, you make up a screenplay, send it to us. I want to read it. If anybody makes up a fucking concept to or this. Or like any, yeah, any different kind of concept, that would be fun. Yeah, right? If you guys have Show any contest. differing opinions on where you think this this plot went, let us know. I'm into it. Yeah, Let's I'm do into it. that too. Yeah. Please hit us up. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. And going along with our weird concept album concept <laughs> we appreciate you and love our you our conception conception for sure yep and you know what if you want to hit us up and let us know your thoughts on the conception uh you can go to our website www.rockcandypodcast.com and over there you can comment on the episodes or send us an email and you can also just get the links to our social medias we have instagram twitter and facebook And we are more than happy to chat with you and have interesting discussions on this concept album. (laughs) And Whitney in general. And explore all concepts that are presented to us. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're not close-minded about this. We could all collectively... Make it it into a sci-fi movie. Ooh, okay. Okay, yeah. You know what? Add the real twist. Add the sci-fi. Yeah. Here for that. Medieval fantasy. We could do that too. That would be super good for medieval fantasy. All right. Holy shit. Yeah. Do that. All right. Here we go. We got it. But if uh, sci-fi and medieval fantasy aren't your bag, (laughs) and we might have turned you off a bit with our crudeness and our ball scratching at the beginning, uh, you can go to our network, Pantheon Podcasts. They are wonderful and not as crude as we are. Decidedly talk less about ball sacks yeah yeah they they'll hit you up with more songs and frankly more we drag stories. them down a little bit <laughs> yeah probably but they'll give you more stories about musicians and songs and albums and anything you could be looking for actually if you like listening to podcasts about albums you should listen to make it stop they're a fantastic yeah. podcast good friends of ours and they love to uh, critique usually panned albums and they're fucking hilarious so give them a listen if you were digging the album concept for sure yeah and also if you want to give us your hard-earned dollar dollar bills dollar dollar bills you can head on over to our patreon at patreon.com slash rock candy podcast and throw us a few bones and uh, we'll give you stuff yeah you get some swag and you get a bonus episode every month and because of you guys, we're professionals now and we have headphones. <laughs> and books. And books. And like can pay for the songs that we play. Holy it's shit. really weird. Like we're real now, guys. We're not pirates anymore. Yar. <laughs> no longer do we live the pirate life. Thank God, because I definitely got scurvy. Oh, yeah. I we mean, ran out of orange juice. It was now a, we can afford orange juice. It was Thank a bad you. time, we guys. Scurvy. We don't have scurvy anymore. 
<laughs> and those citrusy IPAs, those also cover my scurvy. Yeah, them citra dippas. Yeah, it's only citra dippa though. <laughs> only DJ citra dippa. We always dippa them citrus. Oh, yeah. So come on back next week. We are going to continue to celebrate Black History Month with another absolutely fantastic artist that you must hear about. Oh, next week's going to be real good. Yeah, next week's going to be real good. Completely out of left field. And uh, I'm really excited. But it's also somebody you fucking need to know about. Yes. I think for the next couple weeks, we're going to hit it a little bit more obscure. But these are like people that, why don't you talk about this more? Yeah. And... uh, very important yes. to rock music in general. Yes, I'm so excited. I cannot wait. I'm very excited because they're extremely awesome people and yeah. I want to talk about them. Yes. Excellent. So come on in next week for the good fun times. But until then, party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. And party on, you crazy kids out there. Bye. Goodbye, lonely hearts. Where do they go?